This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. You know, we talked to Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami this morning, just before he headed down to Hanalei to check on the progress of the clearing of a massive landslide on Kuhio Highway. The highway is currently being worked on. They are opening it today for emergency access. So this is for first responders, critical infrastructure, and refuse pickup and other utility work, and also mail delivery as well. So the next two days have been designated as emergency access, but nonetheless, we are going to be doing our work as quickly as possible because I do know um, that DOT, as well as the public, is looking to be able to open up some limited general access use at some time, uh, weather permitting, and of course, the conditions need to be safe. Yes, I mean, our hearts go out to the community there. I mean, you know, you folks barely got that highway open since the 2018 floods. Yeah, this is a this is a reminder that these type of situations will occur, especially in this area. We saw uh, numerous flooding events island-wide, and uh, some of the areas on the south shore and towards the western side also got impacted by floods in similar areas to 2018. So as far as for us as government, it gives us a good snapshot of, of where to expect events and how to respond better each and every time. And the community gets it too. We're very fortunate to have a very well-organized community on the North Shore. They've been running great programs as far as alternative transportation right now and other needs as well. Yes, we've been hearing about the fairing that's going on, and I know it's a challenge for, you know, like the taro plantation down there, uh, the Haraguchi's crops in getting that to market yes absolutely it's um it's been a tremendous challenge but fortunately Catherine, like i said we have groups that are well organized they're helping some of the farmers out there and of course you know we're we're committed to making sure that commerce can can occur and that these farmers can get their crops over to where they need to get it to to get shipped off and into markets it's just been a tremendous challenge for farmers I just ran into Rodney Haraguchi, and his lois get impacted by floods over and over and over again. And um, it gives us even more insight as to how much we need to appreciate people that are growing our food and engaged actively in agriculture in general. Yeah, I saw the devastation left over from the you know more recent flooding, and I know he lost a family home, and that was very hard for his family after being down there for generations. But they were rebuilding. So I I worried for for his family. Oh, absolutely. And um, you know, if you ever run into the Haraguchis, they're resilient. They're they're built tough. I've never seen him down and out with his head down. It's just you know, in his eyes, it's another challenge I'm going to get through. So you know, that type of spirit is uh, I think it's pretty indicative of Kauai's spirit. But you know, especially for our farmers, they are they are tough. And so is there anything you want to get out just to the general community, you know, knowing that we'll be able to get this highway open for emergency use? But the long-term prognosis, uh, what are you hearing from highways? Oh, it's going to be like anything else. It's going to be a several-month project. But there is some optimism because the road was preserved. At one point, we had thought that perhaps we had lost the, the highway completely. They are doing work on slope stabilization, which takes some time. Um, as they begin to open it up, people need to be mindful that there are going to be some inconveniences that come with that. Um, it's going to have to be controlled because it's an active construction site. And the more traffic that goes up and down, depending on the conditions and what we saw the last time, if mud gets on the road, machinery is going to have to come in to help remove the mud off the road. So that's going to cause some delays. But right now, our immediate priority is to get the emergency use get the work done as quickly and safely as we can. Safety is always going to be number one, and to just continue to work with DOT. Right now, people should rest assured that AMR has inserted ways for people to get Metafact if it's an emergency. So that is all pre-positioned down there. We have our entire first responder team with presence out there as well, and our top priority is to make sure that we can meet the needs of that isolated community and get them back up on their feet. It's all hands on deck. 
you know, I recall the last time I was down there and there was still some tension because there were, you know, there were some travelers, visitors that were coming through that area. And, you know, it's just hard for the communities there because they're just trying to uh, to live. And then you have this influx of traffic on that highway there. How do how are we addressing the visitor industry and keeping them away from that area? Well, right now I have to say that the visitor industry has gone through a tremendous prolonged economic hardship and slowdown. I know that the businesses in Hanalei and in the North Shore as well as island-wide was really looking forward to April 5th as we hop back into safe travels and as we get vaccines deployed. Um, it's a much better condition, but then, of course, this situation happened. You know, the last time in 2018, Hanalei, for the most part, was still open as far as commerce, being able to continue, uh, economic activity was able to continue. And Hanalei is, you know, sort of the economic engine past that Hanalei Bridge. So I'm not sure they're going to be able to withstand another prolonged event. And that's why we are committed to working with DOT. We're going to be looking and seeking alternative modes of transportation. But most importantly, what we try to do is not let a disaster go to waste. If the 2018 floods had never happened, I'm not sure that we would have had been able to deploy um, the Haina State Master Plan, which is in large part a way to control traffic capacity Uh, preserving the quality of life in that area. Uh, In a large part, we're going to try and blitz to see if we can implement the comprehensive North Shore transportation plan, which also includes areas of Hanalei, creating parking rides up at Princeville, because, uh, you know, these are all common issues that have come up from that community before the pandemic, before this situation, and it needs to be addressed. If we go through all of this adversity just to return back to normal and not address the issues that these communities have been faced with, in my opinion, a lot of this hard work would have been in vain. And so we're committed to at least implementing low-hanging fruit solutions and looking long-term as to how we can implement some of these very complex challenges that we've been faced with. So are you feeling then pretty good, though, about opting back into the Safe Travels program? Yeah, we're in a much better place as an island. Um, our vaccine clinics with our hospital partners, with Longs Kapa'a, and, of course, with our district health office has been running very smooth and in large part because our case counts are very low. Our hospitals have been able to add in capacity. And I think in general, everybody, for the most part, understands uh, what the best practices are to keep themselves safe, to keep from getting sick in general. If we all sort of live with these precautions, the likelihood of getting the flu or the cold or any other respiratory ailment is really low. So we have a high level of confidence that we'll be able to move forward, coexist with COVID-19, and be able to address case counts. But the community, um, and we expect them, and we have the full confidence, is going to need to do their part by avoiding getting sick. And has the bad weather affected any of the vaccine clinics? Not to my knowledge. They're still going full throttle with all cylinders firing. And I know that the hotel industry has been pushing to get its workers vaccinated and and bumped up because, you know, they want them to be ready to welcome visitors as things start to relax. And that's why we said April 5th, we forecasted where we would be with our vaccine clinics, where we would be able to hit the most vulnerable, where we would be as far as being able to get vaccine to what we would consider high contact, high impact industries, which includes the visitor industry workers. And so as long as we don't face any big slowdowns, we're anticipating that by April 5th, a large part of our visitor industry would have received their their vaccine. And Mayor, I know there's this uh, flap over the police chief there, and I understand he has come out with uh, an apology over uh, remarks and uh, incidents that some perceive as racist. What's your take on what's happening there? 
well, I hope he learns from this. You know, it's it, it's hurtful. Um, not only was it embarrassing to him, but I think, um, you know, a lot of Japanese Americans are, are a bit embarrassed to, to have been characterized in that light. You know, um, the impact and just the timing is horrible. You know, I have a 17-year-old daughter who spends her days, you know, learning from home like many other kids right now. But she just took her SATs. She's at home researching what colleges she wants to go to. Every time we travel, we try to take her to a different campus. At the beginning of the pandemic, when you started to see civil unrest, she started Googling areas that had high levels of civil unrest and started scratching off different places where she wanted to go. Um, With the recent ongoing anti-Asian sentiment in some areas, she's also been Googling where it is that she feels safe, and she's been scratching off lists of colleges that she was considering based on that. So, you know, it's a it's a touchy subject, and it's one where I get it. You know, growing up in Hawaii, we used to have Frank DeLima come to our schools, but what he did was he taught us how to embrace our differences, embrace diversity, be able to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves so seriously. Um, But in in this context, it was hurtful to many people. And, you know, Chief is going to, he's going to make people whole. He's going to have that opportunity. You know, and let's call a spade a spade. If you grew up in Hawaii, it's part of our culture. It's almost ingrained to embrace our differences. But it's a challenge for, for a police chief. It's a challenge for any high-level executive, that you you walk a fine line and there are certain things that were held to a different standard, and he's going to learn from this. It's not going to impact our ability to get our work done uh, because it's it's bigger than the chief. It's bigger than myself as mayor. It's, it's bigger than our feelings. It's about doing our job, taking care of our people, and then just everybody learning from this. There are some who think he should resign. You know, that's going to be between him and and the police commission. I'm not going to judge anybody for making a big mistake because God knows I've had my share of them. Um, God knows I've at times have had to make people whole. And so I know what it feels like. And he must feel terrible. You know, I think about him and his ability to move forward. But as far as resigning, that's going to be between, that, that's something he's going to have to, to decide, and I'll leave it at that. Okay, Mayor, and I know you got to go, but I, you, know, you did have the uh, state of the uh, county yesterday. Anything you want to underscore? Well, just, it's, it's different, right? You know, I'm usually used to having a state of the county at a podium, at a live event with people. You know, our team did a fabulous job coming up with an alternative solution. We're able to hit our points as far as what we accomplish, uh, how we address the pandemic. And then, of course, the main thing about the state of the county is telling a story about a budget that we're presenting to the council and the direction that the county of Koi is going to be moving forward in the next fiscal year. And that being said, it's not glamorous. You know, I've always been more focused on infrastructure, addressing deferred maintenance, And so those are not very interesting items, but they are job creators and they are quality of life improvers. If we can fix roads, if we can address infrastructure, it'll put people back to work and it'll improve the quality of life for not only today, uh, but for generations to come. And that's really what we're focused on is taking a look at our IT infrastructure, um, roads, wastewater, solid management, just back to the bread and butter, back to the foundation. That was Koi Mayor Derek Kawakami, who we talked to just before he headed down to Hanalei this morning to check on Kuhio Highway.
Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, a philanthropic organization working to address the human and economic impacts of COVID-19 on island communities. More about its County Strong Funds program at hawaiicommunityfoundation.org. Here in Hawaii, there's a special appreciation for things that are local. And we take that seriously at HPR, where 30% of the programs you hear are made in-house by our own team. Everything from morning cafe to the conversation, bridging the gap to evening jazz. Whether you're a news junkie or a music lover, HPR's local programming keeps you rooted in our shared island community. Learn more about our shows at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, committed to strengthening island communities by donating ocean shipping for food bank networks, including Oahu's Hawaii Food Bank and neighbor island food banks. Matson.com. This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now for your backyard quiz. In today's Backyard Quiz, we're thinking about one of Hawaii's big little towns. Small in population, but large in popularity with both local people and visitors. It's in the North Kohala region of Hawaii Island, and along with its neighboring community of Kapa'au, it makes up the most densely populated section of that district. Those two communities were once busy commercial centers during the operation of the Kohala Sugar Plantation, which closed in 1973. It's an area that will always be remembered in Hawaii history as the birthplace of Kamehameha I and the location of the Mo'okiniheao in the Kohala Historical Site State Monument. It's also the turnaround point in the Ironman Triathlon, and this morning we are looking for its name. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nayreet Hawaii, which represents real estate businesses committed to strengthening communities by supporting affordable housing with support for nonprofits such as Honolulu Habitat for Humanity. Learn more at nayreethawaii.com. Henshaw is into niche markets. He runs a skydiving business on Oahu's North Shore, but he also has a 15-acre farm and has recently launched an effort to grow cashews. We heard from Kauai farmers Scott and Linda Newman yesterday about their cashew crop and mature trees in the ground, but Henshaw just gave away 1,500 cashew seeds to farmers here on Oahu and the Big Island. It's an effort to encourage more growers to give cashews a try as a second nut crop for the islands. Hawaii is the only state in the United States that can grow cashew, and presently uh, the United States-Hawaii uh, import all the cashews uh, consumed, except there's a farm on uh, uh, Kauai. And so you really see this as an opportunity for us to create a market. That's right, a new niche market in the um, nut industry. And the agriculture officials tell me that wherever a keave tree grows, you can grow a cashew tree. I would agree with that. Once the tree is established, it's going to need, for the first year anyway, uh, special care watering, that sort of thing, to make sure it takes good 
especially if it gets a leaf blight or something like that. I'm pleased with the cashews. We planted cashews from the 2020 crop, just planted the last of them this week. But the ones that we planted in May of 2020, some are, well, the highest one I would say is eight feet tall now. Some of them are flowering in their first year, which is interesting. I want to follow the seeds from those cashews to see if that's unique to that drain or whatever. And what about pests and blight? There's a weevil that will attack the leaf on the young plant. The Chinese rose beetle was a concern. There's a leaf blight. I'm not sure whether that's a virus or a, a mite or, or something like that uh, that the plants get. causes them to drop their leaves if they're established already. They seem to survive it and continue. A, a plant that's less than a year old, especially if it's not getting good irrigation, might uh, succumb to that. How would we get our nuts to market as far as processing? I, I understand there was a gentleman who was very interested in trying to get farmers to grow cashews and, and that he would work out the processing. Yeah, God bless George Pelosi in Seattle, Washington. Hopefully, uh, the more people that grow cashews, the more likely we can get a cooperative or a grant or something like that to have a processing center on Oahu. I I understand that the farmer on Kauai has some equipment. Right now, we process ours by hand and and, uh, consume them ourselves. Uh, We don't have a product for the market. In three, five years, hopefully, uh, we'll have some funds to to buy some processing equipment or, like I say, start a cooperative. And so how many trees do you have in the ground? We planted about 500. I would say that 400 of them survived uh, the first year. And there was thought at one point that maybe we could get growers on a particular island like, you know, Molokai or Lanai to pursue this cashew tree as a potential crop. Well, I don't know. It hadn't. I don't think the opportunity has been presented to them. We, we were real fortunate. Hawaii is real fortunate to have gotten the uh, rootstock and um, uh, cashew seedlings that uh, Mr. Pelosi sent over uh, from India. These trees are are um, bred hybrid uh, type trees that uh, produce more seeds, more flowers. So if you can get them pollinated with bees or, or whatever natural uh, pollinators, we're getting more seeds per plant than what statistics show it should be. We have a very a nice uh, larger than, than commercial cashew nut that should interest the entire market. So I think the future looks bright for uh, Hawaii cashews. If people are interested, um, send me a note. Henshaw Farms has got a, a Facebook page. We've got a farm stand here on Oahu, uh, the honey uh, honey hole on Kalkonahua Road, the old road to Wahiwa from the North Shore. We'll be happy to talk cashews, and this fall, I'm sure we'll have another uh, cashew nut giveaway. I understand that they can they can actually grow pretty big in some areas. I think the largest one takes up an entire city block in Brazil. But picture a, a mango tree. It's a relative of the mango. The cashews seem to be liking uh, Hawaii. We're pleased with the output of nuts. There's, besides the obvious nut, the cashew apple has some marketable uh, properties. We're working uh, on that. And the shell of the nut is used, if you can extract the uh, oil, as a brake fluid additive is what I understand. What got you started into it as a product? Skydiving is a niche uh, market. Mm-hmm. Everybody uh, isn't going to go skydiving, and and so I meant I was interested in niche uh, marketing and farming. Mm-hmm. So we have bees, uh, which most farms don't have, and we've we've tried to get some fruit varieties that, in addition to the cashews, that that will. Uh, make our farm stand out and try to produce the lemons and limes and soursop, whatever we're producing, uh, make it high quality and um, desirable so our customers will come back to our farm stand. That was Frank Kinshaw, a small North Shore farmer who has taken to cashews and is encouraging others to get interested in the specialty crop.
Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Arts exhibition O Kalani, featuring works by contemporary Native Hawaiian artists Sean K. L. Brown and Imai Kalani Kalahele, extended through April 11th. HonoluluMuseum.org. This song is getting a lot of play in China right now. Its graphic lyrics describe attacks on women. Even though China introduced a national domestic violence law five years ago, many local authorities are still not enforcing it. No, a lot of them still find an excuse to not do their job. Survivors of domestic abuse face an uphill battle in China on the world. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ferraro Choi, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design. Supporting Hawaii Public Radio for more than 25 years, ferrarochoi.com. Honolulu Civil Beats Reality Check today looks at the patchwork of our vaccine rollout. Eleni Avendano wrote the story, but this morning we're joined by uh, editor John Hill to learn more. Hi, John. Long time no talk. Hi, Catherine. Yeah, it has been. So, Lenny, I understand, is uh, covering a Department of Health press conference as we speak. Uh, but the headline of the story is, you know, it's been a patchwork system. It really has. Um, you know, there's, on the one hand, the Department of Health is screening individual workers to make sure they qualify and sending out their names to hospitals. On the other hand, companies are sort of being um, left to decide which of their employees uh, fit the, the categories that the state has laid out. And um, there's some evidence, too, that you know, some of the people who are giving vaccinations are kind of making interpretations on their own. Well, I, I know it is a, a hodgepodge, uh, you know, because I was making calls yesterday just to try and find out how this whole new system of 1C is supposed to roll out. And, and they were still, you know, working up to the last minute yesterday trying to figure out, uh, you know, who's on first. It's true, yeah, and it's, um, uh, you know, it's really hard to nail down every single category of worker that fits in these broader categories, and I think the state has sort of decided that that's not really a feasible task, so they have to leave those interpretations up to others. Well, I know when I talked with Local 5 uh, yesterday, they were a little distressed because they said initially they were told that their workers couldn't get uh, you know, in to get appointments until the 31st of March. But then I think they massaged that, and so I think they, they're being bumped up, at least as far as the categories go. Uh, so they'll have access soon. It does seem like it's a moving target. It's very fluid. Um, things change daily, as, as, as you found out when you talked to the Department of Health. I, I don't know that Hawaii is all that different than other states. I think that this is such a mad rush to get this done for obvious reasons that, um, I mean, you know, when the dust settles um, after the fact, maybe we'll look back at this and it'll be some model for how to do this kind of thing and what went right and what went wrong. But now I think the focus is just on getting shots into arms. Well, the big dilemma, of course, is that we don't have enough vaccines, and it sounds like, based on the volume of calls that were coming in yesterday, that a lot of people do want to get vaccinated, which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, but, again, it's the supply that, that's going to uh, drive how soon we can get everybody uh, shots in the arm. That's true, and that's an, that is an encouraging thing that there's such an interest in this. You know, I think that People keep saying that the dam's about to break, that the supply is going to go way up. You know, there's the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is in the offing, although I guess there were some production delays there, and that's a one-and-done vaccine. Uh, but I keep hearing that, well, we're just on the cusp of things really opening up. And if, if you follow all the graphs and trackers that various media publish, it does seem like the, the number of uh, doses getting out is, is increasing. Well, I, I know that uh, there has been some, I guess, uh, I guess overlap is a good word. Maybe some folks that were in the 1B category when we were still doing that, some 1C folks uh, were able to get, get the vaccines. And whether it's the kind of thing where hospitals and clinics don't want to have any vaccine go to waste, that they will have people in a queue uh, waiting around for those extra vaccines. That's true. That is a very common practice. I know they have to thaw out the number of 
doses that they're going to use in a given day, and then they have to use them. But, you know, we did, uh, Civil Beat did write, Anita Hofschneider, um, our reporter, wrote a story about two hospitals on the Big Island that were giving uh, those extra doses to relatives of hospital employees. And there was nothing technically wrong about that, but I think some people would look at that from the outside and, and say, hey, why, why can't I be on that list? Well, you know, I, I know in my family, I have a nephew that's a doctor in a small island in Guam, right? And so uh, I know the vaccines were offered to uh, to my brother. Uh, same kind of thing. I guess it just really depends. And and I think even the uh, uh, Veterans Asso- uh, Association, the vets were allowing caretakers of vets also to be vaccinated. So, you know, I guess some wiggle room there. I know we're all hearing uh, an- anecdotal stories about um, someone who might have uh, cut in line, but uh, uh, whatever works, yeah. I guess. Well, I think that, you know, I mean, what's driving this is that everybody wants to get back to their lives, whatever that entails. They want to be able to do things that they haven't been able to do for a year, whether that's have fun or do, you know, get needed medical treatment. So it's understandable that everybody is uh, looking for ways to get in the line. All right. Well, thanks so much, John. Thank you, Catherine. Nice talking to you. That was Investigations Editor John Hill with today's Reality Check. Read Lenny's story online at civilbeat.org. Drive-in movies have become the rage during this pandemic. Our next segment is about how a Campbell High School teacher took that idea and ran with it, snagging a $25,000 grant from Farmers Insurance and the Public School Foundation. Thanks to the innovation lab created by Teach for America Hawaii, we applaud the creative energy. We hear from teacher and course designer Matthew Williams and Campbell High teacher Wesley Atkins. We also hear from Waianae High School senior Emma Tilly about being a part of something fun and something green. Watch movies, save the world. I'm a proud Teach for America Corps member. Became a teacher in 2012 and I was placed at Calica Intermediate School. I currently teach digital media and I was blessed to be asked by the Teach for America Hawaii team to help be a content designer for their innovation lab. And so that started last year and Wes and Emma were um, learners within the lab And basically, it's a space where teachers and students come together to innovate around the things that they most care about. When they were course participants, we focused in on the Aloha Plus Challenge Goals, and that's a public-private partnership with Hawaii Green Growth. And so focusing on things like local food, clean energy, green workforce, and education. And so the lab puts students and teachers together to then think about how can they innovate using competencies such as ideation and creation, to then design and create around the things that matter most to them based upon their community needs. Wes, tell us about the innovation grant that you were able to get. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to tell you about it. I was a uh, student inside the iLab, and inside that iLab, I was able to foster and get support to foster this idea about opening a community-based independent movie theater operated by students and just focused on their teaching them green entrepreneurship. So the grant that we wrote was, we did win a grant, we won a $25,000 grant from the Farmers Insurance Hawaii and the Public Schools of Hawaii Foundation. And we've used that equipment to help us purchase a cinema in a box sort of thing. And then right now we're also in the process of purchasing some pedal power. So we're taking bicycles that are, or bike stands that have been converted into generators and then using those to power our theater. It sounds like a lot of fun. So after spring break, our students are starting to organize. We want to have a few practice runs before we open up to the public. So coming in after spring break, we're going to be marketing to all the teachers around to come in and and check out some movies. So it's just going to be kind of like private screenings just for teachers and faculty in the DOE. And, okay, like what kind of movies are we talking about? You know, we're focused on, you know, art house pictures, but also cult classics, flashback films. I keep on telling everyone the first movie I want to show is Bullet that we can kind of, you know, properly thank the Farmers Insurance one. And, you know, there's other things. We, we're really interested in trying to secure, like, Waikiki and some of the films that you might catch at the International Film Festival. 
And so how was this grant able to help build out your idea? So, so we were able to start taking the ideas we had on paper and then figuring out like how we can prioritize certain different pieces of equipment and certain aspects of the theater to start getting up and running. The theater it really is designed to be scaled up. So at the heart of it, the theater is about watching movies and saving the world. Watch movies, save the world. Kids are really, really responsive to it. They're loving it. I have kids building a DeLorean from upcycled materials. We have students doing bottle breaking. We're making paper. Students are exploring recipes and building a menu for a snack bar. Reaching out to community organizers and, and, and different business owners to build partnerships. The thing we're most excited about today is we finally put together a gather town. What so is that? We look forward to putting more details into that. What, what is that exactly? What's that concept? The easiest way for me to explain Gather is imagine Zoom meets Zelda. So <laughs> you can create a map, and you can uh, have people navigate to that map, and they can walk all around the world that you created. And as they walk around the world and they come closer to people, then they actually, you know, their screens pop up or their, their, their faces pop up. So it's all proximity-based. There's also, like, breakout groups and things like that. We're hoping to use our Gather space to... You know, not just have a website, but to have something a little more interactive when it comes to purchasing things from the theater, contributing to the theater, whatever it may be. Kind of sounds like a little bit like SimCity, where you build your own city. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, that's a perfect way to explain it, but it's 8-bit. <laughs> okay. And Emma, uh, jump in here, because you're a student and you were involved in this lab. Uh, you know, w- what was it like from you on the other end as a learner? It was awesome. It was really fun to, like, incorporate something that I'm a that I'm passionate about or one of my skill sets into a project that would possibly help my community. And it was also like really fun to meet students and teachers from other schools and like see how each of us are different and how each of us are similar. So explain to our listeners uh, your part in all this. What were you able to do? For my project, I was very passionate about um, environmentalism and I have skills in like graphic design. So I created a PSA about how important it is to recycle, and also about HDPE, which is a type of plastic which you can mold. And I used the HDPE plastic to create flower pots. Well, we just did an interview with a Big Island company that is using solar power to make plastic containers, whether it's tanks for catchment systems or kayaks or just like what you mentioned, flower pots, you know. It is interesting, and they're pushing the envelope. I mean, here you are studying this in high school, and now we have a company on the Big Island that's actually doing this using green energy. It's amazing what a little innovation can do. Yeah, totally. And Matt, uh, I don't know, when you hear things about these programs that are just coming together, I don't know, how how does that make you feel? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, I think it's about learning with each other as a community. And I think sometimes what's misunderstood about innovation is like it's an event, but really it is this intricate, beautiful process and journey where you can just look back and just say, wow, like look how much I've adjusted, changed, reflected, grew. And I think the best part about both Emma and Wes is that it was something that started with something they care most about, but was inclusive of their communities, right, and designing with and not for. And um, I think that's what the, the lab is all about, first empathizing around our, around our communities and then um, coming together and figuring out what, what is it that we can design together um, on behalf of others. And Wes, talk about your project because, you know, we heard during this pandemic how a lot of students just fell behind working remotely. So what have you seen as you've rolled out your program? So you're right. You're right. This pandemic has been very, very challenging for folks. Students under a lot of pressure. Less. It's a very stressful situation to be learning from home for a lot of my students. But for, for us, this theater is uh, circles around like problem-based learning. You know, we find real-world applications for a lot of things that we're trying to teach the kids. Um, you know, even in my math class, uh, I, I find myself giving the students situations um, to learn the con- to learn or explore these concepts we're teaching in math, but uh, as they apply to the theater. So you know, just something as simple as like you know, we were teaching the sine, uh, cosine, and trig functions the other day, and 
you know, we started to uh, you know explore what that might look like at the theater. You know, if the screen is 30 feet wide and 17 feet high, you know, what's your angle of elevation from your chair where you're sitting at? You know, things like that. And they, and they seem to be very responsive to it. The students really look forward to just having a safe way to bring their peers and their teachers and everyone back together. I think what I learned um, at the end of that experience um, was that as a student, I have the ability to find something in my community, connect with it, and also, like, make a change about it. I have, like, so many projects at school where the teachers, like, ask us to find a solution or think of a solution for this, and we make a presentation about it, and then we present it, and then that's it. Like, we do nothing after that. But after experiencing this and going through with the project that I thought about and just seeing that I have the ability to make a change, <laughs> it, it just boosted my confidence as a student and also made me think about what else, not only me as an individual student, but like a whole school um, could do if students were given that, not power, but that opportunity, yeah. So what do you want to do when you graduate? Where do your interests lie? I'm hoping to go into nursing and then get my MSN as a public health clinical nurse specialist. So I want to return to my community and like I'm thinking about going into to my old schools and to also local schools and like spreading awareness about certain issues that I think my um, the area, the Waianae Nanakui area has that might need like educating about. I've always been interested in education, but I've also been interested in the healthcare pathway through that career that I'm thinking about going through with, I, I think like I could integrate both. And then Wes, yeah, well, what are you seeing in your students? You know, I'm hoping that in the future, are, uh, my students, my students, like I said, my students are very, very excited about the theater, uh, very excited to just be kind of like finally putting boots on the floor and getting things moving. But as far as the future goes, I, I really do hope that uh, I see my students helping us grow this thing to be bigger than we could have imagined. I, I see my students helping us create a film festival that will allow us to spotlight all of the student works across Aina. I also, you know, hope to see them take this technology of kinetic energy that we use to power the theater and kind of like, you know, squeeze that down into a backpack so we can do field trips and start taking cinema to, to some of the Polynesian islands that don't have as much, uh, as many opportunities to catch film. And Matt? Uh, what are your hopes? Where, where do you want this to go? Yeah, no, and, and, and just real quick, it wasn't my uh, just me. Uh, I have to bring into this space Leah Carey, who co-facilitated and designed Joshua, and, and of course, Joe Baltimore, the executive director of Teach for America Hawaii and the Reinvention Lab, um, just nationally. But I think, you know, coming back to what Emma was saying about ownership, I think this pandemic has really just shown how close learning can be to our students, and it's all about how can we transfer the things we learn within any space, right? The classroom is anywhere now, in our homes, in our actual classrooms, outside, in theaters, right? And so I think it is about that ownership and what does it mean for others? I think never has there been a time that's just brought us all together, but I think it's about shifting mindsets and, again, transferring that learning to then impact people and, and designing with them. It's less about the idea and more about, like, the culture and the space for this idea of equal leaders and equal learners, right? Students and teachers learning next to each other. This idea of the lab focusing on global goals, you know, and partnering with local organizations such as Unruler, a small tech company, right? And so by doing these kinds of things and creating community around learning and realizing that it just, it's, you think big but start small, all of it's possible for anyone. That was Matthew Williams, Wesley Atkins, and Emma Tilly-Tilly talking about a drive-in movie theater created uh, thanks to uh, Teach for America's Innovation Lab that is about to roll out at Campbell High School. And uh, again, that's thanks to a $25,000 grant, uh, thanks to Farmers Insurance and the Public School Foundation.
In today's Backyard Quiz, we thought about a Hawaii Island community that was once a thriving commercial center in plantation days. Along with its neighboring town, Kapa'au, it was a hub of activity when the Kohala Sugar Plantation was still active. It's a town of 1,081 people, according to the 2010 census, and it's a popular stopping-off place for visitors to the nearby Mo'okini Heao in the Kohala Historical Site State Monument. North Kohala is an area rich with history as the birthplace of Kamehameha I, and it was also the turnaround point in the Ironman Triathlon back when the triathlon was still held. Remember when the athletes would end the bicycle leg and start the grueling run to the finish line at uh, Kamakahonu in Kailua-Kona? Well, it all happened in the small town with plenty of plantation-era charm, the town of Javi. Uh, that was the answer we were looking for. Lots of calls from the Big Island, but uh, Daniel Austin, congratulations uh, from Javi. You were uh, you hit the fastest fingers. And Austin uh, tells us that he's lived there in Javi for almost a decade. You know, we had a lot of listeners calling in right lately, and to close our show, we want to share a few of their thoughts. We received this first call after we spoke to the head of the State Department of Labor about the backlog of unemployment claims. Hi, my name is Lauren. Um, I'm calling from Oahu. Just so wanted to talk more about what had happened to uh, my boyfriend's claim. He is a veteran uh, out of the state of Hawaii. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's worked nonstop in Hawaii since 2006, since he was honorably discharged from the military. And he's a very well-known um, well-known chef in the culinary industry on the island. And his claim was pending for over six months. And as a result from not being able to talk to anybody or go into an office, um, even after emailing uh, Ms. Pereira uh, many times about the situation, uh, we never heard back. Uh, regarding his claim. Basically, he ended up going from pending for over six months to disqualified. And as a result, now we're having to fight in circuit court because he also lost the appeal hearing. To this day, we still have no idea what the issues were with his claim. He was laid off from his job due to the pandemic, and uh, he is more than eligible for uh, his unemployment benefit for over a year now. He uh, was uh, robbed from his benefit, and uh, I am just appalled on how the state could treat a veteran this way, let alone just any worker. Mahalo. And Kayla Morikami from Makiki wrote in about her experience and offered a suggestion for the unemployment office. Uh, She writes, I thought it impossible that the unemployment call center automated prompt system could be more frustrating for claimants. I was wrong. According to Pereira Estacchio, the new bot blocking system will benefit callers, and those unable to get through will receive callbacks. How will these callbacks be scheduled? Will call center agents stop taking calls to return calls, or will agents only return calls when they have time? As uh, anyone who has attempted to call will confirm, there's never a time when the call center is receiving few enough calls that they have the time to return phone calls. Uh, I'd like to add the reason the call center suffers from an inconceivable volume of calls is because people need help and aren't receiving it. The desperation that results from financial insecurity, the stress that comes from being forced to choose between basic needs, is the reason for the volume to the call center. A suggestion to the UI office Please edit the automated message. It currently has a run length of 49 seconds. Remove. Please listen to all four options before making your selection. I now have this message memorized as there is no way to skip the message. It is not possible to make a selection before listening to all four options, so this is unnecessary. And this last listener called to share her thoughts on automatic voter registration. Hi, my name is Erica. I am originally from Peru. I have been living in Oahu for about five years and recently became an American citizen. One of the things I am most proud of is that I will be able to vote in the next state and federal elections. Voting is a right and a responsibility of all citizens, and I think voter registration should be more convenient and accessible. As a new American citizen, I am one of those aspiring voters who would welcome the convenience of automatic voter registration because I believe it will help strengthen our democracy. 
Erica Johnson also authored an essay for Civil Beat, sharing her perspective as a new voter. You can find that at civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ward Village, committed to creating community and supporting businesses in the islands. Learn more at wardvillage.com. 2020 had its challenges, but there was lots to celebrate too. Here at HPR, we've taken a look back at the past year and compiled some good news to share about how we've continued to serve you with reliable news and expertly curated music and remain strong as a community-supported nonprofit. It's all in our annual report, which we're sending to all of our email subscribers. Let us send you a copy. Drop a note to members at hawaiipublicradio.org to get on the list. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Financial Partners and founder Jeff White with a coronavirus market recovery ebook at honoluluFinancialPartners.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Well, we're all out of time. Tomorrow, we look at innovation, a partnership between the University of Hawaii and Waipahu High School, and a couple of local firms, an engineering firm and a data firm. Have something you want to share with us? Have a story idea? Call or talk back line with your feedback. That's 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.